Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Uh, We've been talking, I think, the last 11 weeks about different names of God. Uh, And today we're going to talk about the Lord is my banner, a banner of victory over us. And I'm going to share next week on that name that is above all the other names, the name that they just sang about. Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus next week. Amen? Amen. We're going to talk about him today too, but from the Old Testament, the Lord. As I was researching uh, this message on the Lord is my banner, I learned about ancient army banners, often called uh, standards, that identified the nations that that were represented in these battles. So what happened is these ancient armies, they would carry these huge banners that represented the values and the ideals of the nation in which they were fighting for. These banners were a symbol of pride that the army carried into war. Uh, They gave them confidence that they would be victors of that battle. These ancient banners, they were made out of wood, metal, or cloth. A lot of times we see them, uh, they would be cloth, but uh, they were made out of wood and metal at that time also. They were often shaped into various figures or emblems that could be fashioned to a bare staff or a pole. Whether they look like weapons, animals, or one of their gods at the time, they often shine brightly in the sun so that they could be seen uh, from far away. These banners were either carried uh, ahead of the army or they were held on a high hill near the battlefield. So because of this, they were used. These banners were used as a rallying point before the battle would begin. And they were also used to proclaim victory after the battle was over. These, battle, uh, these banners were also a very important part of communicating during the battle, which I did not know about before researching this. So what would happen is when the commander wanted to give a direction or instruction during the battle, a trumpet would blast and all the attention would be given to this banner. And the person who was holding the banner, they would either direct uh, it you know, lower, they would raise it, they would wave it, or do some sort of action with it that would give instruction to the soldiers on the battlefield. So it could, it could uh, determine what direction they moved, a strategy or a tactic that they used uh, during this battle. So you can imagine like the importance of what a banner stood for during a battle. You know, first, it reminded them of the pride and the values of the nation. Second, it reminded them of the trust that they put in the commander to direct them through the battle. Uh, Third, it gave clear instructions how to best fight the battle so the victory was attainable. I like how these banners were always held higher than the soldiers up on a hill or even if they were on the same plane. They were always held higher, which symbolized a greater cause that they were fighting for. And it was also visible to the enemy uh, that, that, that the opposing uh, army thought that they were going to be victorious. Uh, one of the other things I learned was that these banners were so important to these nations that actual wars were fought just to get a banner back uh, that was once taken captive. So we have to know this, that we have a banner flying over us. It's not wood. It's not cloth. It's not metal. It is the Lord Jesus. It is the Lord. The Lord is our banner. And the Lord is declaring victory over us. So we don't need a flag. What we need is to understand that the Lord is my banner and the Lord is our victory in everything that we face. Can you say amen? Amen. At the end of the service today, uh, our children from Super Church, uh, they're currently making their own banners as they learn, learn about Yahweh Nisi, or some people translate it Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. So they're going to be bringing banners over uh, today, and we're going to raise a hallelujah 
uh, together today as a church family at the end of this uh, at the end of this message to give victory, to give the recognition that the Lord is our banner and he is our victory. You know, spiritual battle, whether you realize it or not, is real. It's happening all the time, but some of you are in a more intense battle. Some of you uh, might just be being attacked on all sides and you might feel weak or worn out. And some of you are making progress in the kingdom. You're going into new territories. You're taking steps of faith. So you're aware that there's now an attack coming. So the devil, he'll, he'll try to work on you in, in, in every every which way, but our job is not to just give all the attention to him, but to give the attention of the banner that is flying over us to know we are victorious. So if the Lord is identifying a battle that you're in, uh, we are going to raise a hallelujah together as a church family to close this message today uh, with our children in here, waving those banners over us. And we're going to walk out with greater faith that we are going to be victorious. Amen. So I want to look in scripture in Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. There's a great parallel here to the ancient war banners that flew over the armies. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness battling against a group called the Amalekites. Can you say Amalekite? Amalekites. So I want to just show you this parallel and we'll talk about how it applies to our life. I'm going to read through all of the verses and then I'll just pick some of the verses to talk about as we continue through the message. Starting at verse eight of Exodus chapter 17, it says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now don't get confused on all the words. We have the Amalekites versus the Israelites, okay? This is as the Israelites were crossing the desert or the wilderness to get to the promised land, the land that God had promised them all the way back from Abraham. So Moses, who was leading them through the desert, said to Joshua, who would eventually take over, he says, choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses has ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held, his hand, held up his hands, with one of those obviously being with the staff in it, it says the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And then Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. It goes on in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Can you say that? The Lord is my banner. So he, Moses builds this altar and actually gives it a name, naming, almost attributing a name of the Lord as his banner. He said, because uh, hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So just to break out this just a little bit, the Amalekites, they lived in the desert south of Canaan, which was the promised land. The Amalekites were actually relatives of the Israelites. So they would have known about the promise given. So if you follow this, if you remember, Jacob and Esau were twins, okay? Jacob was promised uh, the promise of God for the promise land was passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and then to Jacob. His name was eventually changed to Israel, and that's where the Israelites get their name. So Abraham, promise was given, Isaac, and then Jacob. His twin is Esau. 
Esau doesn't have the promise spoken over him. Esau has a child who has another child named Amalek. So Amalek is the grandchild of Esau. So these are the, these are the individuals, the, the Amalekites, in which they got their name from Amalek, they, uh, they are given, or obviously have a land in the desert, but they're not given that promise. And so they know of it. They see the Israelites coming through. I don't know if they were trying to stop them from getting to the promised land, but they did not want them coming through their land. So they came to attack. So as we read these verses, the Amalekites represent the kingdom of darkness that tries to stop us from progressing in God. Do you know, in the New Testament, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? So we're not getting angry at people. We're not getting mad or bitter at people. We're identifying what the enemy of our soul is trying to do as we are progressing and advancing his kingdom, and then we're destroying the works of the enemy through worship, through prayer, through intense fellowship with believers, through understanding, knowing, and believing God's word. This is how we fight our battles, right? Not against flesh and blood, but we do it in the spirit realm. So the Amalekites, they come to attack. In verse nine, it says, Moses said to Joseph, Joshua, go grab some of your men. We're gonna go out to fight the Amalekites. It says, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Moses had a staff. I don't know. I looked on Google, but they weren't telling me. So I don't know if it had the, uh, the edge on it or not, but we know that Moses had a staff. And we know that God had, did, had, had, had done some amazing things through this staff, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But I want you to see here that Moses calls it the staff of God. He didn't call it his staff. He didn't call it Israel's staff because he understood without the Lord's favor and power upon this staff, it would be useless. Amen. I love his perspective because Moses was kind of like in his groove, right? He was in his anointing. He was in his calling. And he very well could have said, yep, I'm going to take my staff and I'm going to go on top of the hill and I'm going to raise it up. But he understood this was the staff of God. And that can happen in our own life sometimes. When we're walking in our calling and we're walking in our anointing, we can actually start to believe that it's us doing it, right? And we can start to say, well, it's my gifting. It's my calling. It's my passion. It's my skill. It's my whatever ability, but it's actually the Lord's calling upon your life, the Lord's anointing upon your life, the Lord's gifting upon your life, and you are a surrendered servant of God being used by him. Amen? Amen. So in the natural, or at least from our modern-day perspective, this seems silly to me. For Moses to say, you all go fight, I'm going to go up on the top of a hill, and I'm going to raise my hands. Like, that seems like a waste of time, right? Like there are real men who have to take real swords and go out into a real battle. And Moses is saying, how we're going to actually fight this battle is with me on top of a hill raising a staff. But the Israelites knew what that stood for. The Israelites knew this, what this staff stood for. It, they knew that when Moses operated under the will of the Father appropriately with this staff, that miracles would occur. In fact, earlier in chapter 17, just a few verses earlier, Moses is commanded to strike a rock with the staff so water would come out for the Israelites. Early, early on, Moses was called to throw the staff out of his hands and it became a snake and then it became back to a staff. God was showing him the power that this thing would have. Then later on, Moses uh, struck the Nile River when it turned to blood with the plagues. It was raised up over the Red Sea when the Red Sea split. 
the power wasn't in the staff, but they understood that God worked through this staff in miraculous ways. So just like these ancient armies had banners, they knew that this staff was their banner. They knew that this was their war banner and it was going to be lifted up over them as they went to battle that next morning. You think about it too. What did this represent? This represented the commander that they were following. It represented the power that they had. It represented the victory that they had. This staff represented a war banner like it would have represented any other army that was fighting. So the Amalekites could have come out with their cloth, their their metal, whatever that they had as their banner. And Moses said, I'm gonna raise this banner. This is gonna be the banner of the Lord over us as we fight. So it says in, uh, in verse 10, Joshua fought the Amalekites and Moses, as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So Aaron was Moses' brother. Some think that Hur was Moses' brother-in-law. Again, this is where the commander of the army was to stand next to the banner, raised up over the army as they fought. In verse 11, it says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. When he lowered his hands, uh, the Amalekites were winning. So these hands that were raised, when Moses was standing up like this, I do not believe it was a posture of prayer. I believe it was a prophetic declaration that God, as you have used this to get us victory and to gain power and to show miracles, I am lifting this up to you above my head and above all the other soldiers as the banner of the Lord over this army as we fight against the Amalekites. And they saw as these things were lifted up, what was happening? They were winning. And as they were lowering them, what happened? The Amalekites were losing. It doesn't say it in the text, but as I'm looking at it, I'm just wondering, how did this play out in real life? I propose to you that just as every other ancient army looked at this banner throughout the the battle, and they looked at what position it was in and how to move, I propose to you that they kept their eye on this banner, on this staff throughout the war. When you saw it up, there's, my God is victorious. We are going to win. And Moses gets tired. Maybe they look up at the hill and they don't see it anymore. Maybe they don't see it over the crest of the hill. Maybe they're like, wait, hold on. Our commander is tired. That thing is below his head now. What's going on? And their confidence starts to to wane. But then what happens? What happens? It says in verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. Aaron and Hur took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And they held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. You know, I want to share this with you. Even the best leaders, even the strongest, strongest Christians can get tired completing God's will at times, right? Your fatigue doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. In fact, as you're exerting your spiritual energy, there'll be times where you just need rest, And I love what Aaron and her did. They identified, listen, he's still our commander. He's raising the banner. He's tired. So they didn't say, well, look at him. I can't believe he's tired. Maybe he's getting a little bit too old. Not at all. They went beside him and they lifted up their arms. This is such a powerful image of when you are walking in victory and you have this thing raised, you can help other people because your arms are raised, right? And at times when you're weak and you know, you know what, I'm just having a hard time. I'm going through a battle right now. I'm going through a difficult time that you have people in your life before these battles come that could come beside of you and just lift you up during this time. Right, to say, listen, we're not gonna condemn you. We're not gonna call you weak. We're not gonna say you lack in faith. Why don't you memorize another scripture? No, we're gonna say, wait, his banner looks like it's just a little bit lower. Let's have him sit down and we'll lift it up for him. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. 
not judge, condemn, criticize. They're my brother in Christ. They look like they're going through a hard time. Let's lift up their arms. I love what it says here too. It says that his hands remained steady until the end of that battle. Steady. It's the one thing that we probably don't feel like when we're going through a difficult time and we're going through a battle is that we're not steady. Everything seems like it's shaking and out of control. Yet these two men were able to come alongside the commander in chief of that battle and raise that banner of the Lord, that banner of victory. So it stayed steady until sunset. So it says here in verse 13, Joshua overcame the Amalekites, the Amalekite army with the sword. That's interesting because everything else leading up to this was Moses and his staff, Moses and his staff, Moses. It was all about the banner. And how does, how does the Lord have this written out? Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So what we see here is we see both a natural and a spiritual element in operation together partnering in this battle. One, we see the staff of God in Moses' hand. Two, we see the sword in Joshua's hand. I want you to see the importance of this. There's a partnership in this battle. There was a co-laboring that the Lord had both Moses and Joshua put to participate in together. As long as the staff was lifted up, the sword was successful. When the staff was lowered below their head, below their heart, the sword was no longer successful. Again, it's such a beautiful image of how you place the Lord in your life. He's above you. He's your banner. You're recognizing him. You're worshiping him. Your sword will be successful, right? And we're not talking about real swords anymore, are we? No, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've talked about this already. Prayer, worship, time with him, time with other friends that can encourage you and build you up in difficult times. But there is a co-laboring going on. I feel like some of us need to hear that today, that God has empowered you to co-labor with him, not to labor by yourself for him. Some of us are fighting a battle, we're fighting a battle. we have our swords out and we're flinging this thing around and we're exhausted, we don't know why it's not working. It's because you chose to fight your own battle. You chose to do it in your own power, in your own way, in your own timing, instead of saying, you know what? Before this even starts, I'm gonna make sure the banner of the Lord is above my head. I'm gonna make sure I recognize his power, recognize his authority, recognize his miracle working strategy, anything that he wants to do in that situation. And once you realize that that thing is up and hanging, then you would go. There is no way an ancient army would go out to battle without the banner being lifted up, either in front of them or up on the hill first. They simply wouldn't go. Yet so many times in our Christian walk, we go out before the banner's been raised. And then we do it on our own and we wonder why it's simply not working. I want you to jot some of these verses down. <clears throat> I believe that some of these can be used as banners uh, in your life if you're going through a battle or when a battle hits. There's so many more about spiritual warfare, even from Ephesians, um, the, the, the armor of God. But I'm gonna just touch on some of these other ones, mostly from the Old Testament since we're sharing out of that today. And Adam and the band, you guys can come up at this time. <clears throat> and Randy, if Pastor Chris comes over or something, you can kind of give me a wave as they're making their way. Once you see in 2 Chronicles 20, 15, now this is God speaking about another battle that the Israelites 
uh, we're facing. He says, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So we declare that. I declare that over you today. The battle is not yours, but it's God's. And I love how it's not like a little army at this time, right? The Lord's saying, hey, don't be afraid. There's just a few of them. I got this covered. He's saying, do not be afraid of this vast army. I don't know about you, but when I've been in spiritual battles before, sometimes it seems like there's a lot more enemies than there are people on my side. It's like, it's like temporary paranoia. You feel like there's a million demons and one angel. But you know what? That would be enough anyway. So you're looking at this vast, you're looking at this vast army, this vast enemy, and he's saying, the battle is not yours. It's God's. What the Lord showed me this week looking at this is this. We have to be very careful to not pick our own fights. Because if we walk outside of the Lord's favor and we start picking fights where we're not supposed to be, we walk out of what the Lord wants us to do. If we pick our own fight, then we have to defend our own self. But if we're doing what we're called to do, we're advancing the kingdom, destroying the works of the enemy, showing love, showing kindness, doing all of those things, and the enemy attacks, then whose battle is it? It's the Lord's battle. He's saying, listen, this is a spiritual warfare. You've identified it. The battle is not yours. It's God's. So let him defend you. Listen, when the devil picks a fight on you, at you, he picks a fight with you, he's picking a fight with a child of God. So you might say, well, I'm too weak to defend this. I can't do this. I'm tired. I'm worn out, right? This is a shock. I wasn't ready for this. And then you realize, oh, I forgot. This isn't about me because it's not my battle. It's God's battle. So you know, I don't have to think, okay, the enemy's attacking Kurt. The enemy's attacking the Jenkins family. I don't have to think like that. I could say the enemy is attacking one of God's very own beloved children. Oh, God's not going to like this. And the Lord fights for us. Deuteronomy 3.22 says, this is before they crossed the Jordan River. It says, do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God himself will fight for you. The Lord God himself will fight for you. Now listen, they still had to cross the Jordan. They still had to take on enemies in the natural, but it was the Lord who was fighting for them. The picture that I got was just these big red boxing gloves. And in the natural, the Israelites are there and they're throwing punches and they're throwing punches at, the, at their enemy nation. But it's the Lord's strength. It was the Lord's muscle. It was the Lord's one-two knockout that was actually doing all of the work. It's amazing. He uses broken people like you and me to go out into battle, spiritual battle, and win battle after battle after battle using his muscle strength, using all of his training, using his strength, using his strategy. But how do we know what that is? It's through prayer. It's through his word. It's through time in his presence. It's through worship. It's through choosing to fight our battles the right way. In Deuteronomy 20, verse four, it says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. I love this because this isn't just God's victory. He hands the victory to us. 
So he's like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna, you're gonna go into battle and I'm walking into battle and I know that it's coming, but the Lord jumps in the line before me and he gets to the enemy before me and he fights for me and he wins for me. And then he turns around and hands me the trophy. Doesn't even seem fair. Right? We, we, sometimes we picture like we're dragging God into the fight with us. But the Bible says here that he goes before me. He goes with me to fight the battle for me and to give me the victory. Joshua 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, let me tell you, if you are living outside of the will of the Lord in your own selfish ways, do not use that verse out of context right? It's when you are living in the will of the Lord. You can be confident everywhere you go, he is with you. And he's ready to fight that battle because he is the banner over you. Two more verses, then we'll close up and have the kids come in. In Psalm 44, verse five, it says, through you, we push back our enemies. Listen to what's happening here. Through the Lord, we, as humans, are pushing back our enemies. Again, a spiritual enemy. It says, through your name, which of course in the new covenant we use the name of Jesus, we trample our foes. This is showing us we're not on defense, folks. We're on offense here. We, we already know who won the war. The banner's been raised. Moses has raised the staff. We know the banner of the Lord is over us. So we're saying, it's through your name we will trample on our foes. Any demonic oppression, any fear, any of that stuff that begins to attack you to say that you're not good enough, that you're not gonna make it through, those are our enemies. Enemies of the mind, enemies of the soul, enemies of our spirit. But we have to fight with spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons. In Romans 8, 31, it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us. You know, maybe we should have done what the super church uh, children did today. Maybe we should have made our own banners. Because I think sometimes when someone is against us, when, when an enemy, a spiritual enemy is against us, we start thinking about their flag and their banner more than the banner that's over us. Right, and we start wondering all these things, all these entities and spiritual attacks of who's against us, who's against us, who's against us. And we forget one simple truth. If God is for us, if the Lord our banner is already over us, then who can be against us? Right? So instead of looking out, wait a minute, is that another enemy? What does their banner look like? What does their standard look like? What, what shape is their banner in? Instead of looking out and seeing what's going on, look up. Realize there is a banner already flying over your head. So back in Exodus, to close out here in, in verse 15 of, of Exodus 17, which we already read earlier, Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. The victory had been won already in partnership with the banner that was raised in the staff and the sword that was fought because the banner was raised. And now this was a time of worship. It was an altar. It was an experience with God that he said, I'm going to create this altar here and I will forever remember how this battle was won. And he says, the Lord is my banner. That's the name that he gave it. So forever they would remember how that banner, that standard was raised 
over the head of Moses, over the head of the Amalekites, and over the head of the Israelites to see victory won. I want you to stand at this time. Right before we have the kids uh, come in, I just want to give you guys the opportunity. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet, I want to give you the opportunity to respond now, and then we want to pray with you after. So I want you just to bow your heads. I want you to close yourself off with God for just a moment. The best banner that you could have over your life is to have one that says, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. To know that you've been forgiven of your sins. You've been freed from the grip of the enemy of your life. If you're in this room today and you haven't made that decision, or if you feel like you're far from him and you want to come back to the Lord, to know that banner is over your life once again, I just want you to raise your hand so I can acknowledge you, look up at me. We'll pray for you, and then we're going to sing together. Is there anyone in this room that wants to make that decision for the first time or wants to come back to the Lord? Having Jesus as my Lord and Savior over my life. Anyone at all? Yes, I see your hand. Thank you so much, ma'am. Anyone else? I see you in the back. Amen. Come on. Anyone else? anyone else. Okay, this is how we do this, church. For the the two individuals who raised their hand, there is a party in heaven. Anybody, anytime a a sinner repents and comes back, so let's have it. Thank you, Jesus. We have thanksgiving to offer you. We glorify your name. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. So listen, I want the two of you who raised your hand see Pastor Vicki and Teresa Brawler. There'll be two ladies up here after service. I want you to come forward and pray. For now, we're going to have our kids come in. We're going to raise a hallelujah as a church family. We're going to fight our battle the right way. Come on in, kids. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.